0: So, good afternoon, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner, and I'm calling you, as always, from Maui, Hawaii, where it's uh, 10 in the morning, just a little after, which means it's 1 o'clock in California in the West Coast, 4 o'clock in the East, 20 hours GMT. Pleasure to be with you on what I presume is a beautiful summer day for you. It's August 24th, 2008. And we'll say happy winter to anybody that may be listening in the Southern Hemisphere or wherever you may be. One of the cool things about the Internet. And we do get mail from Europe. So far we haven't heard from the other continents, but we've heard from uh, Amsterdam, a couple of guys actually, and we've heard from uh, Ireland, and we've heard from England, and we have listeners there. And uh, who knows, maybe this will spread. But wherever you happen to be, I'm happy that you're with us today. As we talk about our subject of the week, which is fears and phobias, unrealistic fears and phobias, and if they're so darned unrealistic uh, and we're truly safe, then why are we so afraid? Well, that's the big conundrum, isn't it? And that's why we're here to listen to this. And you know, I hope that you consider that even if you're just, tuned in for background information and really aren't suffering from any kind of serious or significant phobia or other unreasonable fear, that you may know somebody that does. In fact, you probably do, and maybe they're telling you, and then maybe they're ashamed, and I think that's one of the places that we need to begin, not just telling you that there's benefit to your friends and associates and family members and others that you love and care about in listening to this, but that there is absolutely no reason to be ashamed of being afraid. First of all, there's a lot to be afraid of. A quick story. One of the, uh, you know how you you say things you later regret and then you worry about whether you should have said it or not? Everybody does that. Well, people in radio (laughs) or doing podcasts or television interviews do the same thing. And years ago, when Ronald Reagan was president, this would have been 20 years ago and more, 22, 23 years ago maybe. When Ronald Reagan was president, he bombed Libya for no really good reason. He uh, was trying to bully Muammar Gaddafi. He succeeded. He also succeeded in killing one of Gaddafi's daughters and a bunch of uh, French citizens who were in a nearby uh, embassy, and it was one of the more disgusting and horrific uh, uh, episodes of the whole uh, eight years of Ronald Reagan in office. We thought that was bad. We could not at that time anticipate George Bush, of course, who has trumped the, uh, the failures and the evil doings of, of Ronald Reagan, even. Well, everybody on the radio, of course, was as they are today. The hosts were all pro-war yay, isn't it wonderful, Ronald Reagan has dropped bombs on children again. And, well, yeah, it's unfortunate that some kids had to die, but it's Gaddafi's fault um, for being bombed. And if we hadn't needed to bomb him, then yada, yada, and you've heard all of that crap all of your life. So the children are dead. And I was on KABC at the time doing a radio program, and it seemed that I was the only talk show host that questioned the wisdom of bombing children in Libya to prove what a wonderful country we are and how democratic and free we are to drop bombs on children. And uh, so Tom Snyder called. Now, most of you, I'm sure, remember Tom Snyder. Uh, He, for years, did a late-night talk show on NBC, and. Later was on KABC in Los Angeles, and by the mid-'80s, that's what he was doing. And he said, Benner, I heard you on the radio last night. Would you come on my TV show and talk about it? And I did. And during that show, talking about why the bombing of Libya was wrong, even if you didn't really mean to kill the children, you meant to kill somebody. And just how inappropriate it was and how counterproductive it was, A 12-year-old girl called on the phone. This is during this mid-afternoon or late-afternoon television program on ABC TV in Los Angeles with Tom Snyder. This this 12-year-old girl, and she calls about nuclear weapons. And she says, I'm terrified. I'm really, really frightened. And Tom Snyder looks at me and said, well, what do you have to say to her? You don't want her to be frightened. And I said... Yes, she should be frightened. There are 50,000 nuclear weapons in the world, 5% of which can eliminate all life by generating nuclear winter. Well, you could have heard a pin drop in that TV studio. And later I wondered, was that too harsh? Was that too strong? And I've decided it wasn't, and I I suffered for it. Let me just say, there was payback and there was consequences um, it was one of the three times I was fired from the AM side, although I, <laughs> I stayed at the FM side, KLOS, for over 10 years, and kept, bound, kept getting hired and fired for cause, because uh, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I'm a bleeding heart. I'm a pacifist. I don't like dropping bombs on children for any reason. Didn't then. Don't now. I don't even agree with Obama about sending troops to Afghanistan, but that's just my crazy pacifist ways. So I'm not ashamed of telling that girl that she should be scared. And I'm opening our program today on fears and phobias by telling you that there's nothing you should be ashamed of. In fact, we should probably, in a general sense, be more sensitive to our fears and our phobias and our worries and our doubts than we are. Uh, and you'll understand why as this program unfolds in the next few minutes why it's why it's absolutely essential that we face the fear identify the fear uh, face it and embrace it actually what does that mean how do you get your arms around fear especially if that's the last thing that you want to do it just feels so damn dangerous well at the top let's see what we can do to shed any sense of shame that may come along with being afraid You and I live in a terrifying world. We're being run by madmen. Uh, uh, I won't soften it. I I didn't soften it on the radio, and I'm sure not going to soften it now. Politics has largely become a mental health issue. The vast majority of our political and corporate leaders are suffering from personality disorders. They're, uh, They're narcissists they're borderline, they're, they're people with little or no conscience. Most of them have no sense of right or wrong. They don't have the inner codes that you and I do. They're willing to do anything for power. They're, they tend to be multi, multi, multi-millionaires making more in one day than you and I make in a year combined. And it's not just obscene in the injustice of it all. Um, it's a personality disorder. And if that scares us, that we're being run by megalomaniacs, that that they have nuclear weapons, still 50,000 weapons, we don't even know who to point them at anymore. I mean, we're not, you know, the war against terror is not against the nation. against It's against thinking. They <laughs> They want to eliminate people that disagree with them, as if war would do that. And every time we kill a terrorist, of course, we add to their numbers, uh, which ought to be obvious to most thinking people. So at the top, don't be ashamed or afraid of your fear. Even if you just want to call it stress and say, well, I'm not suffering from any big overwhelming fear. I mean, you know, I worry about this. I have my concerns yeah we 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 all have our concerns, and there's plenty to worry about. I think one of the most valuable things that that I can do whenever I talk to somebody about the importance of being an optimist and and a positive thinker is how to deal with negativity and fear in an intelligent way for to think that or believe that positive thinking is to ignore and deny the negative and everything that frightens you would just be foolish would just be ridiculous a positive thinker who ignores and denies what scares him or her is not a positive thinker they're just being foolish you can't ignore and deny what scares you there could be there rarely is but there could be some danger in that fear What we're talking about today are those fears and phobias that by definition are not really dangerous, but they sure feel that way. All right? Well, again, let's begin by insisting that there's no reason to be ashamed. You're in a terrifying world and terrifying circumstances. And as positive thinkers, the best thing we can do is I call the process worry once. What it means is. face the negativity, face the fear. And because we understand the law of attraction, we can't dwell upon it because we then tend to create, to magnify, to manifest the very thing we're trying to avoid. If we dwell upon it and feel strongly about it, whether it's something we want, oh boy, or something we're terrified of, oh no, if you dwell upon either <laughs> and feel strongly about it, either oh boy or oh no, you're going to tend to create it. So worry uh, is a horribly destructive thing, and yet we're fools if we don't do an appropriate amount of it. Get it? So I call the process worry once, and it means whenever you're just worried, nervous, apprehensive, much less terrified or suffering from an extreme phobia or other unreasonable fear, take it out to the worst-case scenario. Take it all the way. Run it out in your mind saying, look, I I can't dwell upon this. I would tend to manifest it if I think about it day after day after day after day. Those are the thought seeds that I'm planting in the fertile garden Of my mind. I can't afford to do that. But to ignore it is just stupid. So let's go to the worst case scenario. Plan for that. In any situation. What's the worst that could happen? Okay, that's pretty horrible. Geez, that's pretty ugly. Man, that'd be hard to get through. But somehow we'd get through it. And now you let it go. And put your attention on the positive. Having worried once. And when that little nagging ego voice, the source of all of your negativity and your fears and your worries and doubts, your phobias, says, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's nagging you in the back of your mind. It's saying, hold on here, man. Uh, you haven't looked at every possible way your life could go south. You have not yet explored every permutation and combination of disaster. You need to, and, I, and, and you might even justify it by thinking it's an intelligent thing to do, to begin to explore every variation of how you could screw this up or life could victimize you or whatever. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Now you're being seduced into counseling your fears and phobias, Um, paying attention to them, but not in a way of managing and controlling, but suffering from and being a victim of your fears and phobias, and you don't want to do that, you don't want to be a victim of fear, all right, fear is on your dashboard, you manage it, you know, a red light comes on in your car, or if you were You know, flying a 747, some gauge indicates a problem, you adjust for it. You fix it. You don't freak out and wonder, what am I going to do? See. So, worry once. Face your fear. We're going to talk more about understanding the fears and phobias as a kind of universal antidote to it. So, no shame involved. We have reasons to be afraid. 50,000 nuclear weapons and... uh, Uh, environmental collapse, Uh, species are becoming extinct and dying off at an alarming rate, Uh, the polar caps are melting, and our leaders are pretending it's not happening because they're not interested in science. In fact, we're raising a whole generation of kids that are being homeschooled by witch burners and book burners and people that are afraid of scientific knowledge. So we're getting our butts kicked economically all over the world where children, regardless of their parents' philosophies or religion, are learning about science (laughs) and what we know about the world. That's the intelligent approach. There's so much fear, especially in this country, being used by frightened people to scare other frightened people Because doesn't misery really love company? And when you're terrified, wouldn't you rather have somebody who is also frightened to be with you? Or maybe not. Maybe there are some situations where misery doesn't love company and what you want is somebody to be with you to reassure you. Somebody to comfort you. Like a parent, if we're children, and we've just had a bad nightmare, and you go running to mommy or daddy, what do they do? They're supposed to hug you and love you and cuddle you and rock you, embrace you and tell you it was just a dream and give you little kisses all over and tell you everything's going to be okay. And that's an effective strategy. And we there's more. I've got more for you. <laughs> but on the very surface, If you don't have people around you to do that for you, because we're not little kids anymore, and we can't go running, unfortunately, to mommy and daddy for this. And if we did at uh, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years old, they'd think we were a little weird. We're going to have to comfort ourselves. We're going to have to talk to ourselves. We're going to have to learn to make the choice. To experience our fears and our phobias, to face them, and to reassure ourselves through a process of understanding that I'm going to be describing in this class today, and then we'll experience in the meditation exercise that we do um, at the end of this event. Okay. I want to check some numbers real quick here. Oh, good. And good afternoon. Another dozen people have just popped in. Hello. Wherever you happen to be. Again, use that, if you're on the web and listening live now, use that, uh, submit a question box down there, Uh, put a comment or a question on our topic, or generally just a hi or a hello, and uh, hit the submit button with your name and address in there, hit the submit button, and we'll acknowledge it in a few minutes. Okay, so we're going to have to comfort ourselves, we're going to have to provide ourselves some solace, there's really nobody to go run into. so. Really would like your comments about how you're dealing with the fact that we're you know, what passes for politics really has become mental health, and we have elected repeatedly and allowed to run our corporations uh, the most power-hungry madmen that um, any society has ever seen, and we're headed for collapse. There's no question the the decadence um, and the and the uh, I want to say confusion. I wish I could think of a better word, just the madness. I hate to keep repeating myself, the insanity of our leaders. Uh, we've got a president that, that can't even use the English language. He uses words like strategery. Um, he's shamed us all, all over the world. And um, John McCain has a chance. I don't get it. Just how stupid are Americans? Well, we're not stupid but we're terrified, and I'm just saying there's reasons for that, and we're going to have to learn to deal with our fears and phobias. Second thing I want to point out today is that um, if the first is the relationship of fears and phobias to general stress, is just how much of our fear really is nonspecific in nature. How much of the anxiety and apprehension, the nervousness, and the worry that we suffer is nonspecific or sometimes clinically, it's called free-floating anxiety, free-floating fears and anxiety. I should also mention the difference between fear and anxiety here. It's not all that significant, but deserves mentioning. Fear is not a clinical term. Fear is a reference to um, a response to danger real or imagined. There's your definition of fear. A response to danger Real or imagined. And we're talking about fears and phobias today, so we're going to emphasize the imagined fears. Okay. Um, Anxiety, on the other hand, or what is often called stress, is a response to confusion that may or may not be dangerous, but I don't really see the danger in it. I just know I'm confused. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to think, I don't know what to say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. You're starting to see what the antidote might be. <laughs> I don't know why I'm afraid even. what am I so worried about? Why am I so stressed? What I I you know, I worry about this and I worry about that and I'm afraid of this and phobic of that, but what is the source? I've already had a listener from Glendale asking, do I need to remember the source? No. The source can be varied. And even if there were a source, this non-specific anxiety, this free-floating anxiety in the background that we all have from living in this incredibly insane world run by madmen, that stuff all adds up. It's cumulative. A thousand times a day, you flinch make little micro-movements of tightening muscles. And every time you tighten a muscle, well, you add a little cumulative pressure, tension, or stress to your existence that you carry in those tight muscles. And you might say, well, what if I keep relaxing? Well, that'll help, but still throughout the day, especially if you watch television news, or listen to too much radio news or read too much newspaper stuff or, or cable news my god that'll that'll do you in real fast that'll that'll terrify you in no time um, for a variety of reasons but i want you to understand the concept secondly of this free floating or non specific anxiety being contributing factors or a contributing factor in the general sense to any kind of unreasonable fear or phobia that you may be suffering so not only is there no shame to it and i don't want you to be afraid to face it and look at the worst case scenario so then you can let it go and say well did i explain this clearly enough the idea of looking at the worst case scenario is when your mind nags at you and says you didn't look at every way things could go south on you you say well i can't afford to um you know the law of attraction and all I have to I have to be careful about what I dwell upon. I can think about anything but to dwell on something and and feel strongly about it, the law of attraction begins to manifest it. So I've worried about the worst. If I can handle that, then I ought to be able to handle anything short of that and there's no reason for me to continue to worry. I've already looked at the worst case scenario. That's that process. So no shame. Don't be afraid to face your fear. And then Understand the second point about most of our stress and our anxiety and our unreasonable fears and phobias are part of a larger process of this uh, accumulation of free-floating or so-called non-specific anxiety, and it's confusion. It's um, again, it's not really fear uh, in that it's not a clear and present danger to you. Uh, but it's an anxiety, because it, and, and it feels like it could be dangerous, but you're not sure why, and you don't even, in some cases, know where it came from. Okay, It may have a source, and it may just be the accumulation of this nonspecific or free-floating anxiety. In fact, the vast majority of anxiety that I see in my private practice, even if people bring me an issue, like, you know, the dog died or I just got fired or they foreclosed my home or I hate my job and I, I need a real career or whatever. The vast majority may seem to the client when they first come to me as specific. But we start looking at free floating non specific anxieties and and even other issues like parenting and we can see how complex fears and phobias can be. I remember a woman coming to me years and years ago for a phobia, a fear of driving on the freeway. And uh, this is one of the more common ones, especially in Los Angeles, a very, very common phobia. Um, Like many fears, it has issues about being out of control. Um, It can be complicated also by issues people have of needing to please other people. You know, like if somebody is tailgating you and you're particularly sensitive to that need to get out of their way, you can also take a look at people-pleasing issues and why is it so necessary for you not to be in their way, you know. Um, Just like I would advise somebody to take a look at their need to tailgate. What's the big hurry? And where is this? crazy sense of self-importance come from that's another uh, fear base so the person doing the tailgating is afraid that life might go on without them and they're so important they better get there quick and the person that's being tailgated and and so irritated and stressed and feels like they need to get out of the way (laughs) they feel like they're not good enough, they're not important enough and so it could go back to childhood, This, this individual that I'm remembering now from years back We found that her fear of driving was so all-encompassing that it really had its roots in fear that was installed by her parenting when she was a very young child. And so one day we're talking about driving on the freeway, and the next day we're doing regression therapy about uh, the way her mom and dad spoke to her, how they talked to her, especially a worry ward of a mother, a well-intentioned, well-meaning mother, but one who taught her children that they would be safer if they worried. And of course, their worries manifested and they did not become safer. In fact, they became even in greater danger and began to accumulate evidence that they were right about the importance of worrying and thinking negatively. I mean, that's one of the great ironies of the law of attraction and the way the universe works metaphysically is pretty much whatever belief system you have, you're going to begin to generate evidence that you're absolutely right. And then most people will use that evidence to build a case. You see? We do live in a world that is blah, 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 fill in the blank. Where I'm always a victim. I have no choice. Life is done to me. And uh, all I can do is be angry and rage against the machine. I understand that. But I also understand a hundred other points of view, including a much more positive, I have choices. And there are always more choices than are immediately available. Camus said, life is the sum of the choices we make. Is that your attitude? Or is life happening you is it coming out of you or happening to you and even if both things were true which is primary what's the cause and what's the effect what comes out of most people is an effect of what's done to them and to take that old phrase turn your life around and apply it in this case and understand that what comes back to you is more a reflection or an effect of what you give to the world well, that changes everything, doesn't it? So obviously this idea of giver's gain, you reap what you sow, pay it forward, uh, life is cause and effect, what goes around comes around, the law of attraction, the secret, whatever you want to call it, certainly is a fundamental concept, especially when we're talking about managing our fears and phobias. Okay. So we've got this, Background of nonspecific and free-floating anxiety. And so the answer to the question, would I need to remember the cause of this phobia? No. Um, You might have learned it from an incident that you just don't remember, or at an age where you were too young to remember. You could even conceivably, depending on your belief system, uh, bring this in from another lifetime. Although, you know, I have to say, Maybe we should do a whole uh, class one day on past life regression. It's a fascinating phenomenon, very real. I just, as being as ethical as I can be, can't guarantee that the past life that you experienced was your past life. We've got enough evidence over the years that people can tap into past lives. <laughs> and we can verify and validate that in the library, do a little research, and in many cases, yeah, look, Here's the history. There really was a person by that name that lived here back then. How could you possibly have known that? That doesn't mean you are the reincarnated version of that. It just means that life has some value for you, something to teach you, something you can learn. I'll have to consider doing a whole seminar on past life regression. Uh, My rule of thumb, like Occam's razor, is to keep it simple and stay with this lifetime first. (laughs) Presume, first of all, out of the box, that your unreasonable fear or phobia is rooted in this lifetime before you start searching all of your hundreds or thousands of past lifetimes on this planet. It's much more likely to be an issue uh, that happens right here in, in this particular lifetime. But again, remember this concept a nonspecific or free-floating anxiety. You have every right to be stressed. How could you avoid being stressed? It is a mad world driven by crazy people, megalomaniac, power-hungry, multi-multi-millionaire for whom it's never enough. You notice they cannot apologize. They have no conscience. They kill children, and it's never enough for them. And these are the people that work their way to the top like the scum rises to the top I'm sorry but that's who aspires to extraordinary power and and that's who leads for the most part our government our corporations and other major institutions are these narcissists and, and others with similar personality disorders uh, like sociopath or psychopath they used to call it it's called sociopath today sociopathology basically just having no sense of right or wrong, and just not caring about other people, totally out of touch with their own emotions, so how could they empathize? Um, Enough of that. It, It disturbs me when I think about just how many people in America admire megalomania, admire this craziness, and then we wonder why we're stressed out. Let's talk about some of the more specific fears and phobias here and get to the answer. What's the antidote, Michael? All right. Some of the more common ones I mentioned in the newsletter that invited you here, such as claustrophobia, the fear of being closed in or not having enough air to breathe. Uh, This could happen in elevators. This can happen in airplanes. Sometimes it's compounded by a fear of heights, another very common phobia. And even though you might be, gosh, I remember uh, before 9-11, visiting the World Trade Center in New York. Have you ever done that? Did you ever go to the top of that? Or any looking down on the Empire State Building was very weird. Uh, That was an enormous structure. And even if your feet are planted firmly on the ground and you're holding on to the railing, uh, you can't. You can't help but feel the fear of what would happen if I fell. What a horrible, out-of-control feeling. I remember feeling the same thing at the Grand Canyon, standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I had to take a breath and take a step back and dream too. And, and <laughs> we had to do a little visualization process of uh, feeling our feet super glued to the ground and reminding ourselves we were well anchored and And we were not going to fall. We were going to stay right here, uh, nice and solid and safe. But uh, a fear of heights, uh, to be a phobia, has to be an exaggerated fear of heights. Everybody has fear of heights. In fact, the fear of falling is one of the only fears that you're born with. Um, I think the three basic fears are fear of falling, fear of loud noises, and fear of abandonment. Check the research. I think Maslow or somebody came up with these initial fears, B.F. Skinner, I'm not sure who, but fear of falling is endemic to the human situation. Fear of heights then would follow on. And it's a reasonable and understandable anxiety. The question is, you know, what's going on when it becomes so unreasonable that it incapacitates us, it it debilitates us. I can't fly because I'm afraid I'm going to run out of air and somebody points and, you know, says, well, look, the air is coming out of here. Put your hand up there. Do you feel the air? Yeah. Now don't you feel safe? No. (laughs) That's a phobia. That's an unreasonable fear. There's going to be plenty of oxygen. And even if you knew that statistically you're safer in an airplane, any airplane, than you were driving to the airport or walking through the terminal, You're in greater danger than getting on the airplane. You're in greater danger sitting in the airplane on the ground than flying in the sky. Uh, But that doesn't matter. I still feel unsafe. And then the airlines have fear of flying classes, and they say, well, look, uh, here's all you have to do is understand aerodynamics. You see these big wings? Well, they're sitting on air. And just like a boat sits on water, uh, I've done, this is called reality therapy or cognitive therapy where you appeal to the rational side of the phobic personality. And you say, look, when you're in a boat, you don't worry about the water opening up and dropping the boat, do you? No. Well, then why would the sky, the air, drop an airplane? It's It's floating in the same way on the air, just like a boat floats on water. And you get them, and for maybe a minute or two they're reassured, but then they're right back to it. Why? Because most of this is done in normal consciousness. Most of these appeals done in normal consciousness will have a very minimal effect on the unreasonable fear or phobia. The universal antidote is to face the fear and understand it in an expanded level of awareness or consciousness, the alpha brainwave level in a meditative, contemplative, introspective state of mind where the monkey mind, the multitasking insanity of normal consciousness, listen to me, no, listen to me over here, what about this, what about that, what about that, falls away. And the anxiety and the turmoil and the torment emotionally falls away naturally. And if it doesn't, if you close your eyes and do the breathing exercises that I teach, or you've learned from other practitioners in self-hypnosis or meditation, self-mind control, yoga, martial arts, accelerated learning, sports psychology, biofeedback, progressive muscular relaxation, and on and on and on, You learn these techniques and the mind is not quiet and the emotional nature does not become calm then you're not doing it right. You need a better teacher or another book or more practice. And isn't our resistance to practicing meditation bizarre? Can I talk to you about this for just a second as a meditator of 40 years? Can I admit, can I cop to resistance to meditating, even though I've made my living as a teacher of meditation. There is a part of me, it's called the ego, or the persona nature, the sense of self that identifies with the separated physical form, the fleshy protoplasm we call a body. That part is going to tell me not to meditate, don't relax, don't do this thing. Stay active, stay busy, stay stimulated. In fact, let's get more stimulated. Let's get excited. Even though much of our excitement is just fear. And much of our fear is excitement if we would but let go of it. we talk a little more about that today, too, or certainly in future programs. It's just too much chaos in the mind. And, I mean, think about it. Our resistance to meditation, our resistance to sitting down for ten minutes, or even five minutes, for God's sake. Taking a couple of nice, slow, deep breaths, closing your eyes. You know you should do it. You say you want to do it. You tell other people you do it, but you're not doing it. Please don't make me sit down, relax, close my eyes, and think of a beautiful paradise. Why? Why? I've been fascinated by this personally. What is my resistance? And the resistance is the ego doesn't want to lose control. It doesn't want to become the spiritual self. It doesn't want you to realize the truth of who you are. And it needs to be overcome, or better said, released. It's not a conquering, it's a letting go of. We're holding on, you see, to that false sense that we are our bodies, that we are the separated nature. Ultimately, that's the source of all of our unreasonable fears, our stresses and our anxieties and our worries. It's it's beyond just feeling out of control to the craziness of who am I and why am I here and what am I for and where am I and do I even exist? Because there seem to be, at the very least, these two parts. That are pulling at me, this one part that aspires to be better, and another part that's terrified of change. Do you get that? There's part of us that really, really wants to be better, kinder, more compassionate, more forgiving, more loving, more tolerant, more generous, uh, liked by more people looking for opportunities to learn and give and understand and grow, and another part of us that's going, are you kidding me? I ain't going out there. That's way too scary. I bet most of the people with serious fears and phobias that saw this invitation and otherwise would be here decided not to come today (laughs) because they didn't want to know about their fears and phobias. Because they don't want to give up their fears and phobias. And if you do, wonderful. You've come to the right place, at least to begin an understanding, that you don't conquer the fear. You don't defeat the phobia. You let it go. But it tends to be sticky and difficult to let go of, like scraping gum off your shoes (laughs) sometimes. If there's something for you to learn, and this is the best part of our presentation today, the understanding, and you'll just have to explore it initially on faith until you can incorporate it into your life, the understanding that it's fear that instructs us, that it is fear that guides us and leads us, not toward more fear, although it could if you didn't understand what I'm saying. Or if you kept caving into the ego that wants you to be afraid, that's what it does. It's in charge of fight or flight. It's ultimately trying to protect you as a separative being, even though you're aspiring to more harmony and unity with life. Don't you see? Okay. So we we, we really have to understand this tug of war going on inside and face our fear. And work to understand what we don't understand. And at the center of all that we don't understand, all the things that frighten us. Again, we're not talking about fears rooted in danger. They just seem to be dangerous. What they're really about are fears and phobias, are unrealistic fears and phobias. Not danger, but things unknown. And at the center of everything unknown, everything that really frightens you, and you wonder, well, where is the danger? All of this free-floating and nonspecific anxiety. At the center of everything, the heart and soul of what you and I don't understand about our lives is our identity, our true identity, the higher self that the ego or persona self, the character you're playing, does not want you to realize. And yet you feel the longing. You feel the love. You feel the aspiration to be better and better. My wife Doreen calls this divine homesickness. (coughs) Excuse me. Can you relate to that? That longing, that appetite, that urge, that desire? That dream. To be better. To be more. Fear is rooted in the false self, the ego, and you need an ego. Uh, you know, if you're ever in real danger, the the ego will help you out. It'll kick into this autonomic, knee-jerk, reflexive, fight or flight, and your your body will change physically. Your your muscles will, will will become tense. Your pupils will open. Your blood pressure increases, your pulse rate increases to push that blood to vital organs and big muscles as they get tighter and stronger and ready to either fight or run like hell. But the vast majority of our fears and certainly our phobias are not about any danger real or imagined, but about what we don't understand about who we are. And so the universal antidote for unreasonable fears and phobias is self-realization. And you cannot do that in normal consciousness. There's just too many voices and too much emotional turmoil, mentally and emotionally, for you to tap into the higher. heart and soul of the lesson here what's terrifying us our existence as what seem to be separated beings and it feels so lonely here sometimes so alienated and reaching out to try to connect and physical connection doesn't do it but a metaphysical or spiritual connection can. So we have to recognize this tug of war and be the higher self that manages this conflict so that we understand when you have a little bit of anxiety or a whole lot of fear or a great big giant phobia that's grabbed a hold of you, that it doesn't necessarily have to have a source or a reason. It could just be an accumulation of a lot of free-floating or non-specific anxiety, much of it rooted in childhood. It could be around bad parenting. It could be sibling rivalry. It could be a bully up the block. Don't necessarily put this on your parents. It may be them. It may not. It's most likely all of these factors added together, confusing us about who we really are. And I'm not going to go back to my rant about the leadership of this country and most of the world but there you go <laughs> that just compounds our feelings of anxiety and being of control and, and victimized and such but if you say there's no real danger and this fear, this phobia is so unreasonable what could it really be about? What's at the center of all of my fears and anxieties and worries and apprehension and it's confusion? Well what am I confused about? Well ultimately the bullseye is you. How could you know what you want? Most people don't have what they want because they haven't decided what they want. They haven't decided what they want, so how could you know how to get what you want? People said, my life isn't working, I'm failing. It's falling apart. I'm not getting what I want. If somebody says that to me, and that's rare, I say, what do you want? And they say, I don't know. And I say, then how are you going to get it? They say, I don't know. And if I continued and said, well, who are you? If they were honest, they would have to say, I don't know. And gang, that's the problem. And the solution is to know thyself. Gosh, where have we heard that before? Only in the ageless wisdom. In the Western society, Western civilization you know it mostly as the ancient Greeks that hopefully you studied at some point. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Pythagoras, the six wise Greeks before them, the truly ancient Greeks, pagans, who've largely been written out of our history because of pressure from the church. A thousand years of Catholic church, and then the protestants that took most of the confusion with them. So there's very little emphasis on know thyself. Understand yourself. One who knows others is wise, said the Chinese Lao Tzu, but one who knows himself or herself is enlightened. We want to change the world, but we rarely think about changing ourselves. We want to change the world so that we benefit from the outside in. It's just safer, it seems, than changing ourselves and making that a contribution to the world. Ooh, too scary, too risky. Well, what if I told you that self-discovery was rigged and that what you discover is always magnificent? What if I told you that there's no way that a process of self discovery is going to add to your self loathing and self contempt? A spiritual process of self realization is not going to take up your parents' voice and tell you, see, you really are inadequate and stupid and ugly too. There you go. That's what we fear. That's one of the reasons the ego doesn't want you to discover the truth about itself. That's why it is the source of all the self-loathing and negativity that accumulates over the years into unreasonable fears and phobias. The universal antidote is to face the fear, to understand that at its core, the heart and soul, the source of this fear, is not so much I don't know what to do, more that I don't know what I want, so how could I know what to do? But at the heart and soul, I don't know who I am, so how could I know what I want, much less what I should do to get what I don't know I want? <laughs> but nobody teaches this. Why? Why aren't we being taught how to solve problems? Most of us have been taught that you solve a problem by saying, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I have a problem. I wish I knew what to do. Wrong question. You don't need to know what to do. First, before you know what to do, you need to know what you want. This is what Stephen Covey calls, um, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. First you have to know what you want, then you can know what to do. (laughs) So doesn't it make sense if you don't know what you want, how could you know what to do to get it? And and maybe that's why you're unhappy. But there's another level, another layer, this is three parts. You don't know what to do because you don't know what you want. You haven't seen the goal or the solution. And you were told in school that if you knew the goal or the solution, that would be the end of it, but in real life, There's lots of times we do know what we want, but we still don't know what to do, or we're not sure it's what we want, because the big daddy question here is, who are you? Who is this person doing the wanting that wants to do something? So to try to solve a problem, I say, what will I do? I wish I knew what to do. Hey, what do you think I should do? Well, what the heck do you want me to do about it? I don't know what to do. Wrong question. I know some of you have heard this before. Forget the repetition, but it's just so essential and so fundamental. Better question is, do I know what I want? And an even better question is, do I know the being, the self, that wants it? And I think every single individual on this earth, would have to say, no, I don't know myself. And maybe that's why you're here, to know yourself. Sound a little selfish? I know. <laughs> that's what the ego will tell you. Oh, well, that would be selfish. We don't want to appear self-centered, now do we? We want to appear generous and kind. Well, the best way to create kindness and generosity and compassion and forgiveness is to start by loving yourself first. What a great irony. Selfish people put themselves first. Magnanimous, charitable, and philanthropic people put themselves first. Whoa, but my parents always told me to hang back and play small. Sorry. How about stop lying to yourself, step forward and be big? Be huge. Be wonderful. And be humble. This is one, one of the great wisdoms, is that the more you know about yourself, the humbler you will be. You don't have to worry about getting arrogant and pompous and conceited. That's for people that have no idea the truth of who they are. Suffer the fears and the phobias and then put on some big air so that you won't see, hopefully, how little they know about who they truly are. The barroom bully, the person picking a fight, the catty woman, the gossipy friend. Um, these are not people that know themselves. Quite the contrary. The person with a big ego, that's, you know, persona means mask. It's a cover. the a scam. The truth is, the more you know about who you really are, the truth of yourself the sweeter you'll be, the humbler, the nicer. The game is red gang. You can explore yourself and you'll come up with good stuff. And from that good stuff, that elevated perspective, anything you see in you, a behavior pattern, for example, that you don't like, or a fear or a phobia, you'll know how to change it. You'll see what you need to do from this higher perspective. It begins, however, with a commitment to understand the truth of who you are to get real, to get a life, to step up and if you think you've already done that then do it again and if you think you've been doing it all your life then I don't need to tell you all the wonderful benefits of continuing that process don't worry about how many stages and steps nobody ever felt a need as far as I can imagine to count how many layers of petals there are in a rose it just keeps unfolding and so do you Your beauty is magnificent. And if it terrifies you and frightens you, (laughs) to consider even how wonderful you are, even if you've been afraid of how inadequate you are, the idea of being wonderful and magnificent frightens you too. Know that the only thing these two things have in common, maybe I'm horrible, maybe I'm wonderful, maybe I'm inadequate, maybe I'm really good, The only thing they have in common is you don't know. And that's what your fear is. It's false evidence, appearing real. You just don't know. You're faking it. And you're letting the ego run the show. Know thyself. That's the universal antidote. Face your fear. Embrace your fear. It's fear that instructs you and guides you into the light. It's by plumbing the depth and the breadth of what terrifies you that you discover the antidote, which is understanding yourself. That's the light that fills the darkness without any struggle. You know, you know my story about the grand epiphany I had 12 or 15 years ago now. Um, in meditation, it came to me, Michael, the best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look. The best parts of you, Michael, are hidden where you're most afraid to look. So to know yourself and find the best in you, you must face your fear and plumb the depth and the breadth of what scares you the most because it's only a feeling or a set of feelings that corresponds to our confusion. It's just like a, a, a warning signal, a red light on the dashboard saying, you've got a problem over here. You need to know it and understand it. Pull over to the side of the road and fix it and then get back on the road. You may not want that to happen. You may not want to be afraid, or confused, or hurt. But how else is life going to get your attention? If there were no adversity or conflict, if there were no problems in this life, if it was this heavenly existence that we all want, who would turn their attention to refinement, to self-improvement, to discovering and developing The true essence, eternal and infinite, of what we're capable of, identity and motive. Fears and phobias result from that failure to know self, getting so totally out of control that we feel fear even when there is none. I talked about fear of heights. Claustrophobia, fear of closed-in spaces, very common. Fear of driving on the highway, very common. Fear of blood. Um, I read a book on fears and phobias once that attempted to list. This was written by a doctor uh, of psychology at Cal State Northridge in Los Angeles, And believe it or not, his last name was Doctor, and so it was written by Dr. Doctor. I swear, it was like like Dr. Joe Doctor or something. So um, Dr. Doctor uh, had this whole list of fears and phobias, and it was all kinds of things, like uh, a fear of lint. Now you might laugh, that's why I brought it up. It is sort of silly, unless you're the one that's terrified of lint. And you have this unreasonable fear. Fear of cats. Some people are terrified of cats. Even more common, fear of dogs. And yet cats and dogs are like the most domesticated animals there are. It's like sheep or something. They're, they love you, they, you feed them, they'll take care of you, they're there for, and yet inordinate fears. Many people have extreme fears. Now, I, I had a client, um that, uh, needed some work on fear of dogs but she had been attacked by a Doberman or a Rottweiler one of those kinds of dogs big dog got right in her face bit her face off well okay that's not a phobia then is it that's not an unreasonable fear that's a memory that's a reasonable fear that's a little bit different than you know just this not knowing why I'm afraid and you say, Michael, a fear of dogs, or a fear of lint, or a fear of some tiny little bug, or a fear of a of a hair in the in the bathroom sink, or again, fears of anything. You know, spiders. Think about it. When a spider doesn't want to eat you, it's not going to bite you. And even if it did, it wouldn't hurt. But many of us are terrified. And an example I've often used, and we'll use again, the poisonous snake. Let's say I've got ten of you lined up, and I've got this, like in Kill Bill 2, that black mambo or whatever it was, that deadly of all, <laughs> deadliest of all snakes. And here I am holding this deadly snake and moving down the row of ten of you and trying to intimidate each of you with the snake. Well, a little knowledge, you know. You know that it's a snake, and you know that it's probably poisonous, and maybe you saw Kill Bill, and you know that this is definitely a deadly, deadly snake. A little bit of knowledge, you say, well, you know, this isn't pure of the unknown, and I say, yes, it is, because the last person I get to is unafraid, and I try again to intimidate him, and again, and again. But you see, he raises snakes. He owns snakes. He knows all about snakes. Is this snake potentially just as dangerous to him as anybody else? Yes. So why is it he is afraid? Because the fear is not about the danger. It's about the ignorance and confusion. Don't you see? It's not true that our fear is about danger. It almost never is. Sometimes it is. Of course, danger is scary. the more you know about a real, clear and present danger, that's appropriate fear, we're talking about inappropriate, inappropriate, unreasonable fears and phobias alright so knowledge is the antidote Ralph Waldo Emerson knowledge is the antidote to fear I would update that risk at the risk of being perceived as pompous (laughs) to update Emerson To say, uh, understanding of self is the antidote to fear. Knowledge of the snake is an antidote. That helps. So the guy that raises snakes is not nearly as afraid, even though he's in the same danger. But knowledge of self, it goes beyond knowledge of the snake, too. I know snakes. I understand snakes. I breed snakes. I know how to watch this snake that Benner is trying to intimidate me with. I can see its behavior, and I know the danger knowledge is the antidote to fear understanding yourself knowledge of self is the ultimate antidote to all fears real reasonable fears even much less the 99% of our anxiety born of unreasonable fears phobias and the free-floating and non-specific anxieties that we've been talking about today. Now, I've gone longer than I usually do. I apologize for that. But let's look at some of the um, questions and comments we have. Um, First of all, Haley Glendale. uh, Haley is a person that, even before the uh, event began today, was asking about whether uh, a fear or a phobia needs to be, recalled, I'm not saying this right, whether we need to be able to identify or recall the source of it, and we've addressed that. and So that would be a no, not necessarily. Uh, Jim on the Big Island, good morning, Jim. Nice to hear from you. Aloha. Also, Robert in Irvine says aloha. Uh, Dave Murdy is online. Let me zoom into my screen here. Yeah, hello, David. Nice to hear from you. And um, Jackie says hi, too. Great. Uh, nice to hear from you folks in Brea, uh, California, in Orange County. A little further south in San Diego, Glenn, a regular listener, a guy that came to a bunch of my seminars. Glenn in San Diego says hi. Good morning, Glenn. Also um, in Oxnard, Randall, another regular listener. Aloha, Randall. Carol in La Habra. Hello, Carol. I'll say hi to Doreen for you. I Hatch. In uh, Sunrise, Arizona, and hello, uh, Lorelai, love and peace to you too. In Pittsburgh, Pizzaburg, our friend John is with us again today, back from Salt Lake City and his travels, hello John, in Irvine, Robert, and he says uh, not only hi, but he's got a little comment for us here I'm going to share with you. Um, Robert says, unfortunately politicians have used fear to control and manipulate the masses, but what must be fear of the unknown, as though our leaders know more than we are or do of what we're afraid of, and so we give our power over to them. We must counteract the tendency to give our power over to these leaders by becoming more aware and knowledgeable of what we're afraid of and coming up with positive, optimistic approaches to our problems. And uh, and he goes on, he says, isn't it interesting? It's better to be uh, pro-peace than any war uh, because we attract to us what we focus on. I absolutely agree. That's why we, if if you're on the web now live or even listening to a replay, you'll notice in the lower corner, What the action button is. We used to put wage inner peace now. I think I put uh, finding yourself in paradise there this week. But uh, have talked a lot about waging inner peace. That's what meditation is. Pro-peace. Not just the absence of war, but a peaceful state of mind. Solves war on a global level and is the antidote certainly to those personal wars that we carry on inside of us. So, thanks for all of that, those questions and comments. Let's do a meditation because we're running a little late and I want to get in a guided imagery process. Uh, Again, for those of you who are experiencing unreasonable fears and phobias or just high levels of overall anxiety, and uh, certainly if that's not a problem for you now, maybe you know somebody that you'll be able to help. Just give them this program. Again... They can listen streaming or download it or subscribe to the podcast of this event, as well as a premium podcast. I'll tell you a little more about it in a minute. All of that at my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go inside and uh, then web teleconferences is the archive for all of these past programs. Okay. Alright, so here's a practical tool. Here's one of a number of proven ways to begin to understand yourself better to face your fear and to uh, release not overcome or conquer so much it's just drop your fears your phobias and all that free floating anxiety somebody said to me the other day well hell Michael you're in Hawaii now so everybody must be mellow out there you know it's funny people are as stressed out here is there in L.A., we, Maui has no freeways, not not, <laughs> not one freeway. Not one. There's a little one in Honolulu, but none of the other islands, I don't think, have freeways. And people are still stressed. People are stressed, you know, wherever you go, there you are, because the source of stress is internal. What you're really afraid of is yourself. You are awed by your magnificence and your power. Approach it slowly and carefully, but do the approach and release what's not working for you. Close your eyes and relax, provided it's appropriate. (coughs) And begin to create and sense from the top of your head to the soles of your feet a feeling of relaxation. Feeling very safe. Feeling muscles relaxing and unwinding. allowing my voice to go with you as you create and sense a feeling of letting go. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power and as you exhale, just as slowly, feel the letting go. Do that again, inhaling through the nose a big, full, deep breath and as you exhale through the nose or the mouth, Make it like a sigh of relief, like, ah. You can feel the same feeling if you exhale through the nose. Inhale always through the nose. And exhale. I mean, unless you're stuffed up. You have a back up the mouth. But try to inhale through the nose. Exhale through the nose or the mouth. And every time you breathe out, feel yourself as if going slowly down the staircase. Going deeper becoming more and more relaxed, feeling very safe and relaxed. Even imagining, as you allow my voice to go with you, that you're in a beautiful place, a perfect peace, a paradise. And the feeling you're making it up is exactly the right feeling. And you are in control of the feeling of letting go, the feeling of being safe. And the feeling of being deeply and wonderfully relaxed. Those are all choices that you can make easily now. And if tension and anxiety, apprehension is your friend, tell yourself, you can have that back in a few minutes. Maybe you're going to get on the freeway. Maybe you want a little of that. But for the next couple of moments, put it down. Feel melty. Like butter softening on a warm day can you feel that feeling can you give up that armoring for just a few minutes as you imagine yourself in this beautiful beautiful place with trees and bushes and sunny warm meadows and cool shady forested places can you hear the birds singing and the wind in the tops of trees. The feeling that you're making this all up is exactly right. Dream it up. Trust your first impression. Make no effort. Let it just flow. Stream of consciousness, beauty, peace, safety, relaxation. Feel yourself sitting upon the earth or a rock, a tree stump or a log, feeling rooted into the earth, through the rock, through the log, or sitting upon the earth. Feel rooted like a tree or a bush, like a flower or a blade of grass, connected, grounded, plugged in like a lightning rod, grounded into the earth. And bring to mind a phobia or unreasonable recurring fear. And if there's more than one, go with the first that pops into your head. And if nothing pops up and you feel you have no phobias or unreasonable fears, then look at any sense of anxiety or worry or doubt that is current and present In your life. And if it is an unreasonable fear of consequence and a phobia that is somewhat disabling and incapacitating for you, look at it even more clearly. And if it terrifies you, imagine plumbing the depths and the breadth of that fear as if you were going into a cave or cavern down deeper and deeper and you carry with you a lamp of course, you carry with you a light that could never be extinguished, that is always with you and perhaps it only allows you to see 20 or 30 feet ahead, but that's far enough as you move deeper into the unknown deeper into the darkness of your fears and your phobias And you are the spiritual warrior, and you carry your light, which by its essence eradicates and eliminates the darkness without any conquest or defeat whatsoever. The darkness is not defeated by the light you carry. It simply ceases to be, and the ignorance and the confusion especially around your own unique and magnificent identity is similarly vanquished by your presence and the light that you carry as you move deeper and more broadly looking behind every rock every nook and cranny and if the road forks, you take the one least traveled the one that's even more scary than the other one and go deeper and deeper, carrying your safety with you, carrying the light and the knowledge and the understanding already acquired with you as you look into yourself. And why does this thing make me afraid? Did it have a beginning? If so, look at the beginning. If it's so unreasonable that you can't even imagine where it may have begun, then simply look at the fear. Examine the fear. As if for the very first time, look directly into the heart of darkness. Face your fear. Face it. Turn and face it. Look into it deeper and deeper. You're carrying with you a spiritual light that is infinite and eternal that cannot be extinguished. It is your protection. It is your love. It is your identity. What does that light now reflect off of? What are you beginning to see and realize about yourself? Even if it seems to have little or no bearing on this specific fear or phobia, Let it bubble up. Put down the logical mind and don't you don't need to go after this and wade through reasoning. Simply sit quietly open and receptive to an arrival of insight and understanding. Face the fear. You may need to repeat this exercise several times to get the maximum benefit. But each time, however, or whatever the size of your insight, however it occurs to you, a little piece or a great, big, all-encompassing aha, finish each of these sessions as I'm asking you to do now by taking whatever insight comes could be a single statement, a single concept about your overall anxiety or a specific phobia or unreasonable fear. Reflect upon it and now see yourself behaving in such a way that you can see having manifested your improvement. In other words, if it were a fear of lint, you would see yourself Picking off the lint and throwing it away. If it were fear of a hair in the wash basin, you rinse it away. If it's a fear of flying, you see yourself now on the airplane, reading the magazine, watching the movie, looking out the window, and enjoying the flight. If it's fear of closed in spaces, imagine now, practice or rehearse being in what might be considered a closed-in space, and, and breathe easily, now, rehearse it slowly, breathe, fill your lungs, and feel the feeling of filling your lungs with air, and imagine that oxygen being carried by red blood cells to all areas of your body as you take a second, slow, deep breath, ah, and a third, ah. If it's a fear of driving, see yourself now driving at a reasonable pace, responsibly, not tailgating, not allowing yourself to be affected if somebody tailgates if you're slower than the other traffic move to the right let them pass okay let it be about you all of your fears and your phobias the game is rigged you cannot discover a defect or a fault you may wish to change some behavior you can change your responses you have choices your life is the total sum of the choices that you make. The fear instructs you and guides you, shows you where to look, to find the understanding of self that frees you from the unreasonable fear. And the phobias, feel yourself now behaving as you wish to behave, feeling as you wish to feel having left all the fears and phobias behind. Take it till you make it. The feeling you're making this up, practicing and rehearsing it, is exactly right. And tell yourself now how easy it will be to remember this process and the benefits of rehearsing it just two or three times in addition to this morning's exercise to free yourself from the unreasonable fears and phobias born of just not knowing the truth, the deep and wonderful truth of who you are and what you're for. Know thyself. To thine own self be true, and then as the day follows the night, thou canst not be false to any person. thine own self be true. Know thyself. And empathize with others. Don't judge others to know self. Know self and these levels of mind facing your fears and your phobias to realize for the understanding to dawn upon you. Oh, I see now. And that light vanquishes the darkness. No effort at all. As it feels right for you, take a nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, relax, open your eyes wide awake and alert, feeling fine. All rested and refreshed and relaxed with a really good memory of what we just did and realizing if you do that two, three, four more times, wow. And especially when you need it, you can always have it, right? That's my prescription, the universal antidote for unreasonable fears and phobias. And then the reasonable fears we talked about very early on in this uh, uh, class. So if you came in late, listen to the replay. It will be up in about 10 minutes at theagelesswisdom.com. Also want to invite you to find yourself in paradise with our premium podcast, 99 cents a week. Don't you dare tell me you can't afford it. Somebody told me yesterday they did not have 99 cents a week. I, I didn't know what to say. Of course, you can. You have money for anything you care about, anything that's important to you. If you like this, you're going to love the premium podcast, Find Yourself in Paradise. Uh, less than a Starbucks latte per month for four, sometimes five programs, an hour long, Steve b. An exercise, a meditation in each, you're gonna absolutely if you like this, you'll love that. Some of the best stuff I've ever done I do with Steve. Click on that button. Finding yourself. Not finding yourself. Finding your capital S Self in Paradise. And the other links to my website, the audio archives, and my profile on LinkedIn are right below that. So Thanks for being with us. I really appreciate it. Hope you'll join us every Sunday whenever you can. Tell your friends about it. We're growing virally and that really helps, you know. We got no budget for billboards and bus cards and infomercials here, so tell your friends. And we'll talk to you next Sunday afternoon, okay? As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from LA.